0: I'm Derek Walker, I'm the pastor of the Oxford Bible Church. Today we're completing the series on the divine institutions and the spirit of lawlessness. We've seen that God, who is the fount of all authority, governs this world, this the world of human society, through seven divine institutions. A divine institution is a sphere of authority, of delegated authority, whereby God entrusts man, men and women, with authority, uh, delegated authority, and he wants us to rule, as it were, with a measure of his authority, under his authority, and represent him in the earth. And so we need to understand these divine institutions, we need to recognize and honor these authorities, and our submission to God is not just about our direct submission to God, but submitting to God it involves submitting to the authorities. And the major key for us to do well in life is to know and honour the divine institutions and submit to the authorities that God has placed in our life. And we, we saw the what these divine institutions were. They're revealed in the Bible. Uh, the first four are right there in the first two chapters of the Bible. Um, before man fell in Genesis 3 and these are the positive productive divine institutions that that form the the structure for our social life first of all was free will God made man in his image and so man uh, God is sovereign he has authority and so by making man in his image that means we carry a portion of his authority authority over our own life dominion over our surroundings, and so we, we don't have all authority, but we have some authority, and we call that free will, we have the free will uh, in our lives, and we are responsible to God to use that free will correctly, and to, and to uh, represent him in the earth, and so that's the first, a freedom of will, and we should respect the freedom of will of, of all the people around us, that, that, that is fundamental. Uh, to to everything else we want to say, um, so whatever other divine institutions come in, they are not meant to override man's free will. In fact, they are designed really to protect uh, freedom. The second divine institution, uh, God gave man a job, to to manage the earth, to manage the garden, and so the work and the there is authorities issues in the workplace and and that is from God and in the third area is marriage and God created Adam and Eve and they became the template the pattern the blueprint for marriage between a man and woman and and there is authority within the marriage God has given the the man authority now it's true that men have often abused that authority and they will have to give account to God for that but that it should not be a basis for Destroying authority within marriage and and to remove all differences between the sexes in in marriage. And then the the fourth divine institution is family. Because it, it says that children are under the authority of their parents. And that's as God ordained it. And parents are responsible to care for their children, to educate and to train their children. And one of the most important lessons that children are to learn is how to relate to authority. The first authority they meet is their parents, who are meant to represent God. And so as they learn to submit to their parents' authority, they are being trained to to submit correctly to authority in the workplace and in all the other areas, to the government and so on. Then the fall happened in Genesis three, which meant that sin came into the world, and the lawless spirit of Satan is in the world so now the divine institutions now start to be attacked because because by the way, criminal activity attacks usually the first divine institution when, whether it 's theft or murder or violence it, you are accosting another person's dignity and their freedom. And so it's necessary now to bring in the next divine institution. The fifth divine institution is human government, because without it, there is no restraint on sin and evil. And as a result, uh, violence would would fill the earth um, if that restraint is removed. Chaos would happen because of human sin. And so authority is not the problem, although authority can be sinful in the way it's used, the authority in itself is not the problem, because it's sin in every human heart is the problem. Uh, And ultimately, the only answer for that problem is Christ and the Gospel. But um, meanwhile, God instituted authority to restrain that sin and that evil, so that we could have a peaceful society. And so the next uh, divine institution is human government, and, and, and the main uh, purpose for it is law and order. And uh, we saw that was instituted after the flood of Noah, and God gave human beings the authority to investigate and to deal with and to punish crime. Uh, even up to capital punishment for the crime of murder. And the principle of justice is an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. In other words, the punishment should fit the crime. And if somebody has murdered someone, then the due punishment is that they should forfeit their life also. And so that's, that is the purpose of government, is, is a divine institution, and therefore Romans 13 says we should submit to the governing authorities. And then the sixth divine institution is the state, because God's God's plan was that, as mankind spread over the world, they would form different nation-states. And uh, God had to enforce that at the Tower of Babel, because man, instead of scattering, tried to create a one-world empire. And all under Nimrod, at, and they built the Tower of Babel to represent that. and. By doing that, it sounds like a noble vision, but actually it was in disobedience to God. Because God knows, because of sin in the heart of man, if one man became the dictator of all, then that man would be not qualified. He's a sinner, and he would be under the power of Satan. He would be corrupted, and he would use his power in an evil way, to control the people underneath him, and and cut them off from God. And that was Satan's plan all along, to, to bring mankind under the power of one ruler. And so God uh, had to judge the, them at the Tower of Babel, and God divided them by their languages, and God scattered them over the earth, and brought in the nation-states. And the development of the nation-states is described in the Table of Nations in Genesis 10. But it was it was implemented in Genesis 11 at the Tower of Babel. And by doing that, God is restraining evil. Because if evil takes over one country, at least it's limited within the borders of that country. Um, and, and so in that way, evil does not take over the whole world. And so, of course, in the end times, Satan's plan is to have the second Tower of Babel. And that's why... One sign of we're in the end times is, is the push toward globalism, which technology helps towards, and the globalist vision. And so the spirit of lawlessness is the spirit that tries to destroy all the divine institutions. It wants to tear down all the divine institutions, whether it's marriage, family, it wants to undermine them, and, and including the nation-state. Uh, and And so nationalism, again, is not wrong in itself. It's, it's actually right, although taken to an extreme, of course, it can be wrong. But uh, there's nothing wrong with, with being, as it were, proud of the nation that, that you belong to and, and supporting it and all the rest. And, and so God ordained the nation state and he is against uh, the globalism. And But Satan's plan, and which we know is happening in the end times, is to create a one world government and he will put his antichrist, who is called the man of lawlessness, he will be over it. And this will be an empire that is in total opposition to God. It says he blasphemes God. He'd, he rejects God's authority, and he makes himself the totalitarian ruler, and that will is what will happen in the Great Tribulation, and that will be the worst time ever. It will be terrible. Human freedom will be crushed, and um, and and his it's Satan's attempts to totally cut God out of the picture, and bring all mankind under his domination, and so that's why God can't allow that to happen. He will judge. Babylon. Revelation 18 is the total destruction of that end-time Babylon, the final tower of Babel that Satan's tried to build to control mankind. And then God will bring in his one world government. But even then it will consist of nation-states in the thousand-year reign of Christ. But that's the purpose of the nation-state, is to restrain evil in, in the world, so it cannot spread too much. So the main purpose of government is actually not to interfere in our lives, but to to make sure there is law and order, and to defend the nation with weapons, to defend it against other nations. But now we come to the final uh, divine institution, which is the Church of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is a divine institution with spiritual authority. And you are part of that. If you're part of the church, you have spiritual authority invested in you, praise God, as a child of God, in the name of Jesus. And the purpose of the church is, first of all, to preach the gospel for salvation for the whole earth. So the church exists for the, for, not just for its own members, but for the, for the good of the non-members, to share the gospel to the nations. But also, as we're going to see, the church, like the other divine institutions, is there to restrain evil in the world, to create conditions of peace so that the gospel might spread. Now, let's have a look at the authority of the church in Matthew 16. This is when Jesus announces the church. Verse 18. I say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock, and that's the foundation rock, is Christ himself on this rock, Christ, I will build my church. And the word for church seems very harmless, but actually uh, it came from the King James, because King James did not want the church to seem as if it harried authority. So he used the word church from the German, but actually it's the word ecclesia, which is a governmental assembly. But the kind of authority the church has is spiritual authority. It isn't to rule the nation, but it is to exercise spiritual authority. And we are the ecclesia of Jesus Christ. And so because we carry authority, we are a divine institution. And it says the gates of hell will not prevail against it. In other words, the church is being placed in the middle of a war zone. All right, the, the spirit of God, but also the spirit of lawlessness is at work. And the church has been placed to rescue souls from hell, from Hades. And it says the church will have success in, in, in many cases in saving souls. And notice the authority, verse 19: And I give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. This is our authority. And whatever you bind on earth, and this is the literal translation, whatever you bind on earth will be bound, having been bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed, having been loosed in heaven. Hallelujah. In other words, we have been given authority to enforce the, the judgments. What has been bound and loosed in heaven, we can enforce that on earth through the keys of the kingdom, through the name of Jesus, through the word of God, through the blood of Christ. Hallelujah. We've been given a job to do, which is primarily to share the gospel and to teach about Christ. And we have been given spiritual authority to get that job done, which we release through prayer, through proclamation, through spiritual weapons. We have the authority to bind the power of the enemy and to release the power of God. And we're to use it in spiritual warfare to restrain evil so so, so that people might get saved. We have delegated authority from heaven. And we have the right to enforce that on earth as God's representatives. Hallelujah. And so when we talk about the authority of the church, we're not just talking about the authority of pastors, elders and deacons, but actually the fact that as believers we all have authority which we, which, uh, th- which we release through the gospel, through prayer, through proclamation. We are Christ's ambassadors and representatives. And the more unified we are, the more powerful we are in that authority. And so we are God's representative in the earth. We exist, as all the divine institutions do, for all people. Um, we, we are here for the non-members to preach the gospel to all people, we're told to make disciples of all nations, we're told to pray for all men, especially those in authority, we're told to restrain the evil in the earth. And so we have power from God to restrain the evil and to cause God's kingdom to come into people's lives through the gospel, because actually the gospel of salvation is the only real answer to the evil in this world. You know, it's only by changing man's heart. The real problem is sin, and it's, which is in man's heart. And it's only by changing man's heart that we solve the problems and all the evil in this world. And so we are authorized to preach the gospel and to teach the word of God and to act righteously in this world as salt. And uh, we are called to bring the truth and to uphold the divine institutions. And so God has authorised for that, and so we as the Church play a part in protecting, spiritually, the divine institutions, whether they be marriage and the government, all the different divine institutions, and freedom of will. By teaching the truth, by preaching the Gospel, by our prayers, we restrain the spirit of lawlessness that wants to destroy society. And um, we're going to see that through a couple of scriptures. And so we are called to uphold the divine institutions and protect them from attack so that we may fulfill our mission of preaching the gospel. So for us to be effective in this spiritual warfare, we need to discern the divine institutions where God's authority is and honor them and pray for them. Pray, it says, particularly for those in authority. And uh, we should discern the spirit of lawlessness and resist it wherever we find it. Uh, we see this restraining ministry of the church in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, v- verse 3. It says, let no one, you know, this really says that we exercise that power to restrain the spirit of lawlessness. And we do it through prayer, through, through our proclamation." Let no one deceive you by any by any means, for that day, that's the day of the Lord or the tribulation, will not come until the departure comes first. That's the rapture. And the man of sin, that's the Antichrist, literally it's the man of lawlessness. He's the one that is the embodiment of lawlessness, uh, rejecting all divine authority. This man of sin will be revealed in the tribulation, the son of perdition who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. He claims all authority from himself. He rejects God and all the divine institutions and demands that the whole world worships him as God. And it says, but notice verse 6, but now you know what is restraining him, that he may be revealed in his own time. In other words, the Antichrist cannot come into the earth because there's something holding him back. There's the restrainer. And that is the, the Holy Spirit through the church is restraining because the church is effectually using its spiritual authority to hold him back. He says, for the mystery of lawlessness, the spirit of lawlessness is already at work. We know, and it's increasing in the world. But only he who now restrains will do so until he's taken out of the way. While the church is here, it's restraining and stopping that spirit of lawlessness come to its fullness. It's tried to take over the world many times, but always it's been stopped. But when... uh, The church is removed in the rapture, the brakes are taken off, and now the spirit of lawlessness comes into its full manifestation through the Antichrist and his kingdom. And it says, then the lawless one will be removed, will be revealed. And then Satan, for a short time, will have his one-world government under the Antichrist. But then it says, the Lord will consume him. The Lord will destroy him at the second coming. And so the church is restraining Part of our mission is to restrain the spirit of lawlessness and uphold the divine institutions. And Jesus said this in, in different words in Matthew 5.13. He said, you are the salt of the earth. Now, salt is there to restrain corruption. Salt represents truth, by the way. Um, Colossians 4.6 says, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, Now, grace and truth are often together. It says Jesus was full of grace and truth. Those are the two complementary aspects. He says, let your speech have grace, and we talk about the grace of God, but we also need to give the truth. The salt is the truth, and you need both of them. And salt, the truth of God, and the truth of divine institutions... That restrains corruption. Salt on meat in those days was very valuable because it was the only thing. They didn't have fridges. That's what restrained corruption. And what restrains lawlessness is the truth of God's word. The spiritual battle is the battle over truth. You need to get the truth into your heart about divine institutions because that will restrain the spirit of lawlessness that will try and get into your life. And so it says that we should stand for the truth of the divine institutions, of marriage, the family, the freedom of speech, the freedom of will. And also it says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how will it be seasoned? Then what happened in those days? Salt was so expensive, they often cheated by adding white powder to the salt to make it look larger, so you get more money for it. But adding powder compromised the salt, it lost its saltiness and it lost its ability to, to, to be, uh, to be uh, anti-corruption. And this is a picture of, of believers. It says if the salt loses its flavor, how will it be seasoned? If we allow the spirit of the world, if we allow the spirit of, com- of lawlessness against the divine institutions to compromise us, we become, uh, if we in other words have areas in our life where we reject authority, we become this worldly, we're, we, we become compromised. We lose our saltiness. And then it says, it is good for nothing. We are not fit for purpose as far as God is concerned, but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. We, if we are compromised as believers in our values, in, in, the, in our truth, in our devotion to the truth of God, we are not only no good to God, we will not be respected by the world either. So he says, we we must be salty, we must stand for the truth. Then he says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. We're all meant to be united together, shining the light of the gospel. He says, neither do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand that it gives light to all in the house. Let your light so shine before men. It says, preach the gospel, Uh, shine your light to men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And so they look to your life and if it matches your words, they will glorify God by getting saved. But it says we are called to be salt and light. Light is our preaching of the gospel. Salt is us being righteous in this world and upholding the truths of God's divine institutions in particular. And by, by being salty, Uh, we restrain the corruption in the world. And by shining the light, we overcome the darkness in the world. So the church has a ministry of preaching the gospel, but also to restrain the darkness and the corruption in the world, the spirit of lawlessness. And In our prayers, we are to come against that spirit of lawlessness. We are to pray for all those in authority, um, in particular. 1 Timothy 2, he says, I exhort first of all that supplications, prayers, intercessions, giving of thanks be made for all men, but especially for kings and all in authority. Pray for the authorities in your life, because Satan has particularly tries to attack authorities, because if he can undermine authorities, he can bring great destruction. And he says, pray for those in authority that they rule well under God's authority that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. Because when authority functions right, it brings peace and it brings order. It creates conditions for the preaching of the gospel. For this is a good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. That's our purpose, is to bring men to salvation and to come to know the truth through, through the word of God. And that requires a peaceful society under good authority. And so he says, Pray for the authorities, because if the authorities function under the Spirit of God, then all will go well. And so we should pray for authorities, pray because they're under attack, pray that God defends them, but pray that those authorities are honour God and that they do not abuse their authority. And pray that God raises up righteous authorities. And uh, because authorities can 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 be sinful. Let us also ask God to show us if there's any lawlessness in our own hearts. Because how can we be used by God in the spiritual warfare if we are compromised ourselves? And how can we expect um, Satan... It says, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. How can we expect the devil to flee from us if we are have submitted to his spirit of lawlessness? That's why he says... Submit to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. How do you submit to God? You submit. Partly, it's through submitting to the divine institutions that God has established. When you're submitted to God, then you can resist the devil, and the devil will flee from you. So we have an important role to play in the end times. Let us dedicate ourselves to God and volunteer to God for God to use us in the spiritual warfare. Let's use the keys of the kingdom to To use our authority to resist the spirit of lawlessness in the world and to promote the preaching of the gospel, let us pray for those who are lost so that they can have a chance to receive salvation. You have authority in the name of Jesus, through the Word of God, through the blood of Jesus, to make a difference. Amen. Thank you for watching. Join with us at Oxford Bible Church every Sunday at 11am Greenwich Mean Time for our live stream service. Or join us at Cheney School, Headington, Oxford, OX3 37 qh You can watch more of our teachings on our Roku channel and Derek Walker's YouTube channel. All Derek Walker's books are available in printed and Kindle versions in all Amazons worldwide or online with other great products where you can also support our programs at www.oxfordbiblechurch.co.uk or by calling 01865 515 086.